This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, and others with topics that will pique your curiosity. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I'm talking with Alicia Gaines about her book titled Black for a Day, White Fantasies of Race and Empathy. Contemporary history is littered with surprisingly complex stories of white people participating in blackface and minstrelsy. At the end of their experiments in so-called blackness, Alicia Gaines argues these debatably well-meaning white impersonators arrive at little more than false consciousness. By examining this history of modern racial impersonation, Alicia Gang shows that there was, and still is, a faulty cultural logic that places enormous faith in the idea that empathy is all that white Americans need to make a significant difference in how to racially navigate our society. Alicia Gaines is Assistant Professor of English at Florida State University. Alicia Gaines, welcome to Book Speaks and Beyond. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Now, this book is fascinating, right? Never really knew much about the stories behind blackface and minstrelsy, except when, like when we see it on TV, and, but never really dived in deep as why it happens or why they feel like it needs to happen. So I just wanted to really get first, what is it about your upbringing, about your life experiences that compelled you to write this book? Oh, yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, there's one of two ways I can answer that. Answer that. Um, the first is I've always been fascinated with kind of um, shifting um, identities and how people perform identities. And I really think that I was inspired because of my fandom as a child of Michael Jackson. Mm. Um, and also, more poignantly to the book specifically, was in the introduction I talk about being a part of um, Finian's Rainbow, mm-hmm. um, this um, Broadway um, musical that my that my high school put on, um, and being in ninth grade and actually helping to um, change a character from white to black using wow. really like crude, really crude paint all over the, his face. He's very shiny. He looks ridiculous. Wow. You know, like, um, did they do the lips but, and yeah. everything? Like you know, like all um, red lipstick. I mean, was it like, no, okay. No, so we didn't do- <laughs> okay. All right. We didn't do the red lips, but I mean, we might yeah, as well have. Absolutely. So how did, how did you, how, how was this even possible? And what was your parents' reaction? And, you know, we were young. What, what was kind of your reaction to this? Right. So I was young. I was 13. Um, I think, I think at the time I was in ninth grade. Um, so a little backstory, I went to a very um, conservative, evangelical Christian private school. Mm. And so um, uh, kind of a toxic place around issues around race, yeah. <laughs> racism, um, um, sexism, homophobia, all of those things. And um, I think I think they thought they were doing something kind of edgy and interesting. Huh. Um, I remember my director... Uh, saying like, oh, we're so glad that we actually have enough black people in the school interested in theater that we can finally put a play on. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So (laughs) this this guy or or female was, this was a plan forever. It was like just waiting for the right numbers to show up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He actually admitted he was waiting for the right number and the the right number was three. He just needed three (laughs) actual live black people Mm, mm -mm. Um, (laughs) 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 to put in the play. And then, you know, we had the magical change of the the white kid into a a black man. Um, But I, yeah, I think that they thought that they were doing something kind of, um, like socially uh, uh, edgy and mm, relevant. Mm. Um, my parents' reaction. So when I was writing the book and I was thinking about what a messed up moment <laughs> yeah. this was, is like the, the token black kid being the one to blackface someone. Right. Um, uh, I I called my mom and I was like, "Mom, 
what were you thinking? She was like, oh, I was just really excited for you that you were in the play. Oh, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't really, I didn't really think of it more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's something about, um, I think, text like um, Finian's Rainbow that kind of seduce you into thinking that it's, these things aren't really blatantly racist when, when they often are, right. even when they're trying to be kind of socially responsible, trying to push a conversation, they, they do so in egregious ways. Right. And I was wondering, um, I was wondering like the, the, the person who was black faced, the white guy, I wonder what his reaction was. And have you spoke to this person since they grown up? I wonder if they even think about that moment anymore. I actually have not spoken to him since I haven't spoken to many of the people I graduated from. Yeah, (laughs) true. um, I haven't spoken to him. Uh, I remember him being kind of like uh, quite just kind of cavalier about it. Mm. He thought it was funny. He thought it was kind of cool. Um, He would, you know, do um, his, you know, white boy suburban version of hip hop lyrics when he was in blackface. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, Mm. And, you know, and he was young, too, so also immature. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole thing was just so. So has it? Back. So it seems like since that moment, it's been just ruminating, and you you keep going back to that 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 moment, right? Yeah, I keep going back to that moment. The 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 moment that sticks out to me most is not just actually putting the stuff on his face and then him going out. It was actually me washing it off my skin. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And and having because it was so it was so cartoonishly done, mm. right? So I'm washing it off my you know, brown skin, yeah. but it was so cartoonishly done that it just looked, it just looked strange. I remember like it going down the drain, like, Oh, th- there's something about this more that feels like right. gross. And I don't really understand what's happening or I didn't have a history or understanding of black based minstrelsy at the time yeah. um, or very limited understanding of that at, yeah. when I was like 13 or 14. So, um, but yes, it's a, it's a moment that's kind of haunted me. <laughs> um, wow. That, 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 that was definitely, something I would remember. Uh, But I think the one thing with this book, I think that really helped people understand as we move along, if you can define, there's this this term, I'm not sure if you coined it or or whatever, but it's called empathetic racial impersonation. What, 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 what is that? Yeah, I, I did, I did um, coin it. I needed a phrase um, to talk about these um, mostly white liberals who were temporarily passing for black until we get to Rachel Dolezal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but who, who, I mean, they were doing it under the auspices of cross-racial um, recognition, cross-racial understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's what they said they were embarking these projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I needed something. So it's not just passing, mm-hmm. because passing, you know, if someone finds out that you're passing and you didn't pass very well, like the passing has failed. Right. Um, so when and you say so passing, you look, when I think passing, I'm thinking like, black to white. Are you also saying white to black when you say passing? Right. I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, but but passing is, is I think of it as a permanence usually. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, there's you know there's temporary passing as well, but it wasn't just passing because they knew exactly you know how long the project mostly was going to be, um, and there was always the um, end game of there's going to be some kind of book or mm. series of articles that come out of this. Mm-hmm. So it's not passing to me. That didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's not, it's not, it's not blackface minstrelsy either, even though it takes on some of those um, theatricalities of blackface, mm. because they are literally darkening their skin in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's not, the, it's not the stage. It's not the cartoonish um, red lips. It's, it's not trying not to be wearing. comical and, and degrading to a certain no, extent. No, it's not. They're, okay. they're trying to, they're trying to, they think that they, um, you know, are, are passing, I guess. They think that they are trying to blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I use the phrase um, empathetic. So we got the racial impersonation part. I, I was trying to think about how I could phrase something that takes on the logics of both passing and minstrelsy. Yeah. And then um, thinking about the fact that it wasn't just racial impersonation, um, in the broader sense, it was a really specific type trying to um, create these um, social uh, conversations. There was a so- these social experiments mm-hmm. um, in in empathy. Um, like, how do I 
you know, walk in the skin of another person. We always right. think about empathy as walking in the shoes, but these people are literally trying to walk in the skin. Right. Um, and so that's how I came up with empathetic racial impersonation. And, and as I was reading it, it, it isn't, isn't there like a glaring danger with uh, empathetic racial impersonation? You know, you know, the danger that their own racism will like tank the perception of the, of racism <laughs> and so-called blackness, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, are you asking is the danger that they are that they will experience? Yeah, as they're as they're as no as they're as they're doing this, they think that now that they're in this skin, that they're going to be in a black world, and they're they it's like they do they realize that they are biased regardless if they're painted. Oh, do they realize them their own their racism? own bias? No. Yes, excuse I mean, me. Yes. Yeah, um, largely no. <laughs> <laughs> so it it becomes. <laughs> Which is, you know, one of the huge issues. They don't see a the privilege of the fact that, however, whatever they experience in this temporary, you know, experiment, they have at any time the chance to return to whiteness. Uh, yeah. Um, and and they never, none of them ever really unpack um, that that privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also there, they have. Most of them don't even know other black people. Oh wow! <laughs> um, yeah. And so they're going off of their assumptions mm. of of how blackness is lived and experienced and felt and embodied. Right. Um, and for instance, with Grace Housel, who wrote Soul Sister, um, uh, she was mentored in how to be a black woman by John Howard Griffin, <laughs> who wrote Black Like Me. Like they had you know, another white man. Bonding. Yes. Yes, another white man yeah. um, who passed for black for um, some weeks in the South. And, and he was telling her how to act like a black woman. Mm-hmm. She's not talking to other black women. Not at all. Um, yeah. So she's, yeah, she's carrying all of her own um, racism, biases, and prejudices into the project, but thinking that she's just experiencing this as she would as a black person. No. Yeah. You're taking all of that privilege and baggage with you right. um, on this project as well. Right. Yes or no? 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 Pick a side, pick a side, pick it, pick it, pick a side. Thumbs up, thumbs down, I don't care. You decide if yes or no. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? You decide, you decide, you decide, you decide, you decide. Either love it or you hate it. Go ahead, choose wisely. Yes, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. You're either fixing it or breaking it, taking it or making it. You're either too legit or you counterfeit faking it. You're leading or you're following, loaning or you're borrowing. You're either lit as fuck or you suck and you swallowing. You could be the greatest and aim to be the goat. You're either sitting and you're sinking or you're flying and you're floating. You hate it or you love it. You're private or you're public. You're comfy on the bottom or you strive to rise above it. You either helping or you're hurting us. Healing or you're killing. If you're killing, you're a murderer. Selling or you're buying. Honest or you're lying. Receiving or you're giving. If you're living, you ain't dying. You either laughing or you're crying. You either quitting or you're trying. You either slipping or you're climbing. You want the gold, then you better start mining. You're synthetic or you're natural. You're thinking local or you're thinking international. You dreaming big or dreaming little If you haven't picked a side Then you're standing in the middle You causing problems or you solving If you living by the gun And them bullets you be dodging You got vision or you're blind If you can't make your decision Please make up your mind Stand on Before we dig in a little further, can you briefly mm-hmm. lay out who are the so-called uh, empathetic racial impersonators you covered in this book? Just just briefly. Sure. So I start with um, Ray Spriggle, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And he um, really wanted a second Pulitzer Prize. He mm. thought that um, that this project, that becoming a, a black man... <laughs> Um, and then writing about for his newspaper was going to garner him um, some this second Pulitzer Prize. So he 
he actually did not darken his skin because he could not figure out how to do it. This was in the late 40s. Yeah. Um, well, how did they do it? I'm sorry. Out. How did they do it? <laughs> well, the people who did do it, um, they actually did it with like vitiligo corrective medication. Oh, wow. So, um, so actually putting, you know, more pigment into your skin. Mm. Um, and then also like suntans and sun lamps and things like that. Wow. But Brazo did not have access to any of this. Mm. Um, he was trying to stain himself with various stains, but they would stripe and they would streak and they would run, you know, like, um, so, um, and so he goes, he goes to the South, um, and he wants to see the most barbarous aspects of the South. And for 30 days, he was a black man. Then he wrote, um, a series of front page articles for the Pittsburgh post Gazette. Um, and, um, and also a very bad follow-up book (laughs) to those articles. Um, and then, so that, that was in the 40, 48. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he's lot, very often forgotten. Usually when pe- I p- tell people about this project or tell people about the book, they're like, oh, John Howard Griffin's Black Like Me. Yeah. Um, which is that, that next chapter. But, but Ray Spurgle did it 10 years, more, more, a little more than 10 years before John Howard Griffin, even though he doesn't get any credit yeah. um, for doing I, it. I would say um, one, one thing about Spriegel, if I remember reading some of it, was... Um, um, he seemed like if he didn't witness any kind of violence, any kind of blatant racism, then it can't, didn't exist. But at the same time, and, and I quote, I think in the book, he said, uh, he was trying to be the best good N word to the master race, <laughs> Right. you know? So, so what, what does this say about, you know, these uh, racial impersonators and, and their lack of understanding around the complexities of racism. Yeah, I mean, for Spriggle, right, he was trying, he wasn't trying to instigate anything. Um, he was, he was very scared <laughs> yeah. throughout the entire time that something was going to happen, um, that something was going to happen to him. And he, he also traveled with John Wesley Dobbs, who was um, active in the civil rights movement in Atlanta at the time. And so he, he had like a, a black chaperone, basically. Um, and he uh. just kind of, sat back and, and watched um, mm. and met met lots of people but didn't did not want to experience any kind of racial terror mm. um, he said at one point it would have these would this would have been a better book and a better series of articles if I did you know um, instigate some kind of racial violence but I, I'm just not that kind of person right um, so it, it's 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 kind of which is why I think people don't remember him because there's nothing really memorable um, about Spriggle other than he did it first right. um, in, in the kind of genealogy that I'm setting up. Um, but knowing that, and, knowing and that I, he didn't want to push the boundaries, I'm right. thinking to myself, what does that mean? Does that mean that he knows that his own bias, he knows that there is terror out there? Um, what 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 does that mean? Does it mean that not pushing the boundaries makes him is actually a good thing? Because who is he to put people in danger? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think so. I don't. I, I don't think it was that altruistic. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I really don't. I think that he was honestly scared. Um. Mm. He, he says he it was four terror filled weeks. Mm. Um. I think he was honestly scared, and I think that um he. He was not the kind of champion for black folks in yeah. any kind of way. He mm-hmm. he wanted a second Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer, he thought this yeah. would get him one. It did not, by the way. Wow. Um, and and I think at the end of the series of art um, of articles, he says a very kind of conciliatory um, kind of uh, gesture towards white folks, like. I now know what the black man wants, and it's not to agitate for civil rights. It's just so we can, like, you know, work and be left alone. It felt very Booker T. Washington uh, to me. Yeah. Um, and so he's no, he's not. He's keeping himself out of harm's way because he's too scared, and also, um, he does not believe in. He's not some hard fought civil rights crusader. That's yeah. not why he's doing this. Right. Um. I, and I, so. Yeah, I think what's interesting. You also brought up a point that he actually had someone to make him credible and it was another black person what i I guess there were some black people that thought this was a good thing you know they didn't really see it as 
disrespectful, huh? I mean, correct. I mean, the, he worked closely with um, folks in NAACP. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there were people that thought that this was maybe a, a good idea, that it was, it was um, raise awareness about what's going on, the conditions of the South, yeah. um, the conditions of the school in the South, schools in the South, et cetera. Um, but I feel like you can always find someone to co-sign. <laughs> like, a white person <laughs> can always find someone to co-sign. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's always one. Yeah, that's crazy. So w- you, you talked about Ray Spriegel. Um, you, I think you also, who are some of the other people in the book that, that did this? Right. So John Howard Griffin did it next. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was um, a jur- well, he was a journalist who was working for Sepia Magazine. He pitched the, he pitched the to Sepia Magazine, which is a black periodical, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first, the first iteration of this came out then um, in Sepia, and it was like six different um, installments. And then he wrote the famous Black Like Me, uh. which came out in 1961. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, John Howard Griffin, he took vitiligo corrective medication. Um, he he had sun lamps. He darkened his skin um, and then went down, um, down south, well, He's from Texas, but he went to um, New Orleans and the deep south. traveled to, <laughs> right, to right. deep south um, and traveled and um, tried, you know, tried to do things like get a job hmm. and tried to do things. Um, he ex- he experienced sort of the racism that Ray Sprinkle did not. Was he trying but to make it happen? Also, I believe he was trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he was, I think he was putting himself more in harm's way than Spriggle was willing to. Wow. Um, and you know, cause he, he's a, he's a guy who knows how, how to craft a good story. And he, right. and he talks about the, the hate stares that he experienced and his, um, body was actually hanged in effigy, wow. um, in his hometown. He had to escape with his family to Mexico cause he was threatened and in danger. And that only just makes the, you know, the project more salacious and interesting. Yeah. Um, because this, you know, white not really black man um is getting you know threats on his life because he's doing this We on the top, they gon' see the black boy eye, they gon' see the black boy eye, and that boy eye, they hate seeing that boy fly, better see a black boy die, not to play, yeah, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy rise, black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise, they gon' see a black boy. Black boy rule. I've been making black boy move. Nigga, try and see the black boy lube, but the black boy smooth. I done with the black boy school. I've been swooned with the black boy too. Make a black boy choose. Yeah, black boy. No matter any race, nigga, I'm that boy. I lost a little weight, still a fat boy. I came up from the bottom now, nigga, stat boy. Black boy hit him with the black boy feeling. White boy hate to see a black boy killing. Pull up on a head in all black beans. Hard time hit him with the black boy ceiling. Zag, they wanna tell a black boy bye. Black boy, we got the black boy high. All the black people on the black boy side. That's a promise. They don't want to see the black boy ride Fat, yeah, black boy shit Everybody always on a black boy bitch White girl pull up in a black boy whip White boy sitting with a black boy sit Yeah, sad, black boy rich Haters always saying that the black boy sit But wake up ain't morning on a black boy dick That's why I'm in the streets with the black boy fist We on the top, they gon' see the black boy high They gon' see the black boy high And that boy high, they hate seeing that boy fly Better see a black boy die, not to play. Yeah, black boy rise They gon' see a black boy rise Black boy rise, yeah, black boy rise they gon' see a black boy rise, he a black boy rise, he a black boy rise. They gon' see a black boy rise, he a black boy rise, black boy rise. They gon' see a black boy rise, he a black boy rise, he a black boy rise. If you're enjoying Book Speeds and Beyond, do us a favor. Go into the show notes of any episode, click on the iTunes logo to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I think what I found interesting uh, was this refrain um, that that all the uh, so-called impersonators. They they were fully certain that getting into blackface not only transformed their exterior identity but also their interior identity. M- most of yeah. them most of them feared that blackness was to some degree would be permanent. <laughs> what what would make them think that? Like I don't I didn't 
get that at all. Yeah, I mean, so the person who who kind of really thinks about this the most is John Howard Griffin, mm-hmm. and he and I and I found evidence of that not in black like me. There's a little bit there, but actually in his unpublished diaries that I found in, in the archive. Wow, in his in his papers, and and he had he had written, um, he had written about a day that doesn't doesn't translate into black like me. It's not there. And it's all about how he's deeply afraid that he, once he becomes this black man, that he'll never kind of return um, to whiteness. He's afraid that he'll, he'll somehow be um, black, like psychologically, black internally. And I think it's the the idea that right, it goes back to how um, blackness is often seen as a taint uh, or, a, or a stain yeah. or um, something that is somehow indelible, right? The mm. one drop rule. Right. Um, which which traffics in those kind of those kind of logics of, of black blood or blackness being kind of um, o- overtaking and over encompassing whiteness. Right. Um, uh, I think that I think that's the basis of his fear. And he he did not put those explicit things. I mean, he talks about in the in the journals. He talks about how you know, oh my gosh, like am I going to be making love to my wife? As oh a black my gosh! Man now? Yeah, yeah. That that, that yeah. was interesting. Like. Why, why, why all these sexual anxieties? Like, and, and, and yeah. if I read it right, he was kind of fearful that he, it would be like committing adultery with his wife. And, and I don't know right. if it was him, but he was kind of excited. Like, it was almost like a fantasy as well. Like, what is that? What is that? Exactly. It was, it was definitely an anxiety about, about, you know, the, the, I read it as an anxiety around the sexual prowess of black men mm. and, and also this kind of fantasy interracial fantasy, <laughs> um, that he could be himself, but not himself Wow! or that they could act out some kind of, right. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> so, so as, as these, well, I know there was a few more you talked about in this book, but when they would give their analysis, right? It seemed like some of them would use the word we and us, like now they're black, right? Yes. <laughs> and I was just wondering, how did their readers respond to this analysis? What, what, was there any dangers in, in what they were doing? Hey, absolutely. So Grace House was, she, she's actually the next person in the next chapter. Uh, she uses we and us often. Um, this kind of inclusive language, these in- inclusive grammar, um, and um, it's mm, so she got a lot of pushback. But this is also we have to think about the timing of of when she um, put this out. So yeah. Grace Household Soul Sister was 1969. Soul Sister. So <laughs> we're we're in the middle of the Black Power movement. Um, they they did a six page spread in Ebony, Ebony. advertising the book, wow. Ebony. Um, which is fascinating to me because even though she admits that this is not really a book for black people, she still clearly wants black acceptance or approval. Yeah. That's how I read that very extensive. I mean, six page spread in Ebony. I mean, so was it kind of comical? Um, were they laughing at her, or were they really? Was it serious? No, they weren't. It was. It was the the, the spread was not comical. Um, mm. It was. It was taken seriously. Wow. Um, the response to to um, Soul Sister by many black folks was how dare you? Ah, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and we don't need we don't need this right now. We don't need you to do this for us right now. Um, yeah. um it, you know, we've got this kind of. I mean, we <laughs> right. we're past the point. We're past the point of the kind of kumbaya interracial civil rights movement. <laughs> right. Um, and and so it was. It was just the timing was just. I think deeply. I think disrespectful to a lot of Ebony readers yeah. um, and many, many letters to the editors uh, in subsequent I- issues reflect that. Right. I, I think there, there was, there's, there's so much irony in, in empathetic racial impersonation. It seems like, like most, yes. mo- mostly the selfishness it embodies. Did, did any of them realize uh, how selfish and insensitive they were at any point? Yeah, did so, anyone tell them and did it make them feel a certain way or they just didn't care? Well, um, people have told Grace Housel, but she definitely didn't care. She not only became <laughs> black, but she came, but she also became um, 
a Western migrant worker no. who was passing as undocumented. No. Um, well, she'd probably have a big fact, story This, if she was alive today with that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and she also uh, became a Native American woman. Wow. Uh, and so what even though there were critiques of Soul Sister and pushback, she still went on to do these projects again and again. Mm. So clearly it was a, and she says in the, in the final um, memoir that she wrote called in her shoes, which is not very good. Mm. She says, you know, this was about me trying to open my, open myself up to many, many experiences. It's all mm. about her. All about her. Right. Uh, it's right. all about, it's all about her. Hey, you know, there's a, Griffin. Yeah. Oh. No, no, please. I was going to say John Howard Griffin was a little bit more reflective later in life. He, what he would do was he would kind of tweak how he talked about his motivations for the project mm. to fit the sociopolitical moment. Ah. So, <laughs> um, so you know, when black power starts happening, he was like, Oh, 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 you have no, remember that I would like to say that I was asked by black folks to do this mm. on behalf, like for mm. the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he was he was well aware that uh, this will not age well if the kind of <laughs> framing around it wasn't right. Right, um, he was very clear about that, and I think that's why people still. I mean, people still read John Harper's Black Like Me in high in, in high school. That's not a banned book. <laughs> like seriously, no. Like you no. can't read it, Malcolm X, but you can read Black Like Me. <laughs> yes, you can read Black Like Me and get everything you need to know about how what it means to be Black oh, in America in sixty. Everywhere you go, you hear the people say, What's going on in the world today? We're make it through to see another day. Everywhere you go, you hear the people say, What's going on in the world today? We're make it through to see another day. We're make it through to see another day. One, two. I see what's happening around the world, and I just want to cry. Natural disasters, massacres, poverty. I'm asking why. Ain't no answers for the Time's passing us by As we try to live a life So no fear in our eyes But sometimes It can all get the best of you Got you thinking really hard About the doors that you're stepping through It's unpredictable When you never know What you'll get into It shouldn't have to be like that Unfortunately true Just for the kids who grew up Without a mother or father It's for the dads and moms Who ever lost a son or a daughter It's happening too often Everyone's feeling bothered Hold your family close Remember blood Stick in the water I know it's hard to forget But we can't dwell on the past Life is moving too fast We never know how long It'll last, so I continue to live my life like there ain't no tomorrow. The time is borrowed from this journey, and I'm feeling this sorrow for the Something there, there was something that I think it was with uh, Grace Hassel. Um, she 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 did her blackface adventures in harlem at first but i think she yeah. found, she found out that it wasn't authentic enough it wasn't authentic blackness so she decided right. she had to go down to the south like what's the significance of that them seeking this contrived authenticity you know right it's so much about um what we think about um what what authentic blackness is mm-hmm. um so apparently authentic blackness cannot be found in harlem which is amazing <laughs> right. um she thought that they were too kind of bougie mm. um and she <laughs> wanted to experience a folk experience and so she she decided she's going to go to mississippi wow. specifically mm. um yeah and it's it's so it's it's so telling yes because it is it's all about so who gets to get um, included in what, what you what your conception of blackness is, right? right? Um, she could not understand that um, blackness was not monolithic. So when she was confronted with people who did not meet her already preconceived notions of what blackness looked like, sounded and sounded like, right. she had to go to a place where it it matched what she thought um, blackness was supposed to be. That's the dangers I, I think about this blackface is that they don't seem like they're really that open-minded they're they're it's like they're only confirming their that they're grateful to be white you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it kind of came off to me was when as they were trying to do their analysis for the people like they were just confirming all the biases in their head there there was nothing open about it right 
I think something else, H- Hassel to me, she was the most interesting one. She just seemed like she was just the most blatant racist out of all of them, <laughs> masking herself, you know, in you know, in blackness in a sense. So she would say stuff like, uh, she loved to use the term the white man, you know, instead of saying white mm-hmm. people. Like, and her being a female, it's almost like, what does that, what does that say about the the character of white womanhood? Uh, in white supremacy when it came to this blackface. It was like a whole different layer. Yeah, I mean, she, all, she you're right. She always said white men as if white women are not um, deeply implicated exactly. in um, white supremacy and the maintenance of white supremacy. Right. Um, she didn't, she saw herself as, you know, this kind of new Southern, uh, not a Southern belle, but this kind of new Southern white woman <laughs> with much more travel than, um, you know, she wasn't, um, she wasn't raising a family. She was, you know, White House um, uh, staff um, aide for Lyndon B. Johnson. So she's like this career mm, woman. Mm-hmm. I think she thought of herself as being, you know, um, interesting part part of a, a new conception of America um, at an interesting time. But no, she def- definitely did not see how white women are are part of the maintenance of white supremacy. Um, I, even though we, I mean, we can try, you know, Trump's 50, 53%. Yeah, know, right. <laughs> but that is definitely the case. Right. Um, but no, she always has placed it on something about, about white men. That's so true. So she, she did her best to kind of not make herself part of the problem. Uh, she wouldn't consult Correct. black women about before getting into this role. She would put all of it on the white man. But then there was an interesting part where she was working in a house and mm-hmm. the, the the white husband tried to rape her, right? And, and, right? and I think after that incident, she was done, right? <laughs> she was done with yeah, her. Yeah. So what does that mean? What does yeah. that say? What's telling about that? So, so, um, okay. So th- this is a, this is a, this moment we had been building this moment throughout the memoir because mm-hmm. when she's in Harlem and even before the project starts and she's getting, she's kind of preparing herself, she says, you know, I'm terrified that basically I'm going to get raped by a black man. Mm-hmm. She's terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what comes out of her hand. That's, that's what comes out of her mind. This whole thing is yeah. her terror. Wow. Right. Even John Howard Griffin mentioned something about rape in one of his letters to wow. her, um, to be careful. Um, Cause if he said, I believe the threat of rape is widespread. Is what he hmm. said. Um, so she's got all this, all this um, racist kind of baggage around black men. And then, um, that doesn't happen. She goes down south. She's a domestic worker um, in the Wheeler home. And when Mr. Wheeler comes home, he he attempts to rape her. She gets away, and then she's like, "I'm done." <laughs> so, and and she runs swiftly back to being a white woman again. So, um, what did she learn from that? Like, what would, what would, what did she tell her her audience about that situation? You know. So she says that she says, you know, oh. It's so it's for for one thing. I, I it's a little it's a little convenient. So I'll say that. So I'm not not to doubt her story, but yeah. um, just for me, it was very convenient. She said, "Oh my gosh, you know the, the entire time I, I was worried about the black man, and here here I am. I just I should have been worried about white men mm. um, this whole time." Hmm. And then she says something like, "She talks about how um, she was able to get get away. She was able to resist." But all the other black domestic workers, um, black women domestic workers, they couldn't possibly resist if they needed their $3 a day or uh-huh. if they had children to feed. And so she makes herself uniquely heroic, right. right, in one move, and then completely disregards black women's resistance, particularly right. around rape and sexual violence, in another move, wow. while still saying that she's speaking for what she calls the darker sisters. The darker um, sisters. <laughs> So she's Ooh. constantly putting herself right a set set aside and apart from from these systems. But even in these systems, she is the um, yeah she's the she's the heroine. Yeah. Um, wow. so, so, that a black woman could could never because they have to stay in work. Wow. So so why why did you decide to write this book on blackface? You know, especially in our current racial climate, why why is this topic relevant today? So I think it's relevant because 
We are um, at a moment where white liberals really want us to be seen as good white people. Mm. And um, the folks in this book, as as racist as some of the um, as some of the stuff is, they many of them saw themselves as good good white folks. Uh. Um, that that were willing to have these, particularly John Howard Griffin. I mean, he made it almost. He talks about it in almost a religious way mm. that he is persuaded to, you know, bridge these divides between black and white. Mm. Um, but but the outcome is something without without checking your privilege or even understanding it. Without actually talking to real black people, right. all you're doing is more damage. All you're doing is taking up space. Right. And I think thinking about kind of empathy and allyship and what white folks should be doing in this particular moment, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it feels poignant to, to look at some of the failures of mm. folks who thought that they were doing something really transformative and really important for the cause. Right. Um, so and what, they just So what should, what, so what should uh, a so-called white ally or white liberal do? What, what, what can they take away from this? Um, yeah, they should read the book <laughs> and then not do those things. So, um, <laughs> a, ca- a cautionary tale. Yeah. So white folks need to be, um, being, taking a, taking a step back and listening to reading, um, black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they need to be also not asking, um, black folks to tell them what to do hmm. because there has been a long history now of stuff that you, if you are diligent about being an ally, you'd go and you do your own research and you find out what to do. Right. And the other thing is check white people need to check their own families, um, mm-hmm. check their own friends um, and, and, you know, make things, make things uncomfortable when they're being um, racist or Spouting the next Trumpism, right. um, you know, th- Thanksgiving and Christmas might need to be uncomfortable yeah. or boycotted, right? Or um, because we're not going to, you know, just pass the turkey and pretend that this stuff isn't being said or these people didn't vote for, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. You make um, you make up a good point because they always say it all starts in the family. It all starts with the family. Uh, uh, teach your family and then you always hear the mm-hmm. excuse oh i don't want to upset uncle bob at the cookout or well i mean that's what the world is it's a bunch of families so yeah you're, you're correct there yeah uncle bob's just gonna have to be pissed off <laughs> right right but someone needs to challenge uncle bob right right or even or even as uncomfortable as, as it is your own like parents yes or um, and, and also educating your own children. I mean, at this point, we're we're at a we're at a point where, you know, just l- being black and living black is a dangerous. Um, well, it's always it's always <laughs> it's been always been precarious. dangerous. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's always been precarious. <laughs> yeah. But you know, now we've got the the epidemic. Well, it feels like an, a, a, a social media epidemic of mm-hmm. all the people calling calling on you know oh, yeah. barbecuing while black and yeah. all this walking while black and. Um, <laughs> And those things, I, I, t- I told my students, uh, if you are if you are a white person and you're willing to call the cops on a, on a black person doing something that seems pretty innocuous, right. then you have to be responsible for the fact that that person might be killed. Yes, absolutely. That is that is the that's the level that we're working with here. Yeah. So, um, so yes, I think yes. that yeah, white folks can be uncomfortable and get get a little risky. Right. Some risks. My boyfriend hates me, won't let me be his parents Says my skin might scare, he's not afraid of my appearance Feel like jumping off the building, feel like saying fuck your parents On the film and I know they never were, they love gays But they hate niggas, what else are we to do rather than talk and paint a picture I told that nigga before I even tried to tell myself I wish you thought of me the way you thought about yourself I love her, wish I'm well. I don't care no more, I don't care no
These days just don't make sense without you I think there was a chapter a chapter in there uh, around um, a TV show not too long ago called Black White, and that had to do with two yeah. two families, one white, one black, and they you know they black face, white face, the other, vice versa, or so forth. Can can, can you um, expound on, on on that and um, talk about um, how does something like that even come around in this day of age? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so it. it um, it happened in 2006. This is actually um, where I got the I, I like I got the idea for thinking about this genealogy. So you can trace it all the way back to the Finian's Rainbow moment, me you know wiping uh, the paint off. Yeah. I, I, but this is when it kind of came up. Like, oh my goodness, I, there, there's something here. There's a book here, possibly. Mm-hmm. So because at 2006, I was sitting watching TV and I saw a commercial for this show called Black White, and I, I could not believe my eyes. How did we get here? <laughs> um, and so Black White actually um, forced me to trace back and find Grace Housel and Gretchen uh, and Spriggle. Because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to know what led up to this moment. How did we get here? So 2006, um, you know, there's there's um, some some beginning whispers of, of, of post-race. And mm. I think I think people want to kind of have these interesting social social experiments is what they were being called at the time. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it was a reality TV show and they took two families, put them in a house like real world style mm. and <laughs> they switched races. Um, I'm putting quotes up here. They switched yeah. races <laughs> with like Hollywood style makeup, prosthetics, cosmetics, all of that. Mm. And then kind of went around trying to do things that they thought were either a black or white. So the uh, mm. born black guy who's, who turns white, he goes golfing. Um, <laughs> he works at like a, he works at a dive bar. Wow. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, uh, Rose, who's a born white girl um, and is now in, 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 as a, as a black girl, she, she st- tries to write slam poetry and she joins a slam poetry group. Yeah. Um, so it's really just mired in stereotypes. Um, and it, 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 it's so bizarre. Cause like ice cube was part of it. He was one of the co-producers. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> I guess that kind of helped push it through in a sense. If you think about it, it's like yeah, some kind of credibility. Like, like it, they 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 need a black they need a black person right to co-sign this. It's just been white people doing this. No, um. So they so Ice Cube co-produces it. Um. He also makes the the theme song to it. Mm. <laughs> um. And and so they it was it was greenlit because it they thought it was a uh, the truest conversation about race relations in the United States you know happening right now. Wow. That it, it was just. It was just fresh and innovative and going to push boundaries. It, it didn't do any of those things. A, it's kind of boring. The whole show is <laughs> kind of boring. Um, and uh, the the makeup on some of them is, is pretty convincing. On others, looks grotesque. <laughs> oh, um, so and how- especially as you're seeing the transformation and you're like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and and the two families that are supposed to have, be having this deeply intimate, you know, conversation around race, it 
not that doesn't happen. It just they don't like each other. It devolves completely. Mm. By the end, they're not even talking to each other. They have to have a therapist come in wow. and like have a group family therapy session <laughs> to get them to write nice letters to each other about what they've learned. Wow. Um, yeah, it you... didn't go well. It was <laughs> I... only one very short season. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think something that was interesting, and I can I can hear some people saying this right now. You know, just just the audience and and other people. That the blackface got into whiteface. The black people got into whiteface, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some might say that's like a double standard or, or hypocritical. Like, what what would be your response to someone that says that? Yeah, I mean, so I I don't see it as a double standard. I see it because whiteface does not have the long history of um, racism yeah. <laughs> that blackface has. Mm-hmm. Um, blackface has literally been used to um, demonize black folks for hundreds of years at this point. Mm-hmm. And it still res- it still has resonances today. We still have to tell tell these you know students every single Halloween, please don't. Oh gosh, yes, blackface <laughs> And day. every single Halloween someone <laughs> does and they didn't know and it was just I was just being a, a care I was just pretending to be this person, mm-hmm. right? Um you know, I was just pretending to be Diana Ross. You can do that without <laughs> exactly. black being your skin and making harkening back to black face Right. Um, it and black face is is complicated. You know, Eric Lott calls it both love and theft. But at the end of the day, it's it's deeply racist, yeah. and we know that. <laughs> right. Um, white face does not have that history. There, there, there is a longer history of um, black folks using white face, but it was often too to um, point out the um, sort of the uh, point out issues around white supremacy, mm. um, point out issues around um, like things like class. Um, so it was used kind of more strategically. Mm. Now here it wasn't; it was right. just a gimmick. Right. Um, but there are ev- there are ways in which white face was was right. used. And I think um, to, I, to actually have those conversations. I think something was interesting. You you talked about how. Um, you know, white face for black people is like a visual manifestation of cold swishing. Can, mm. can, can you uh, elaborate on that? I, I found that interesting. Yeah. Um. So I yeah I thought about it in relationship to code switching because we do these performances of whiteness all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk into <laughs> my you know my the chair of my department. And talk as if I'm talking to a group of a group of friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Well, I'm, I'm going to switch the cadence right. of my. Um, I'm I'm not going to use certain language. Right. Um, and and we we do that all the time all the time in various white spaces. Right. Um, and and I've I've come from a lot. I was a I was a token black kid, so I learned how to code switch and do all that very very young. Yeah. Very right. very easily. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, this was, it was interesting because what the, what the black folks who were doing whiteface um, said was they're like, we don't need to learn because the, the white folks were very concerned about learning how to like walk properly black, <laughs> black. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the white folks offered, they said, do you want us to teach you how to kind of pass as, as, as white folks? And they're like, no, we got it. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> We have to do this all the time. All the time. Right. <laughs> we, we do this at work every day. We got it. <laughs> right. Um, no I think it would be them. a better experiment for if they did that where, you know, that you are in whiteface, I guess, and you just do the mundane things, right? You know, like we get, we can get shot for walking on the street or crossing the road, you know, right. <laughs> and being in whiteface, it actually shows how, how human we are like everybody else you know it, it just it's just funny how it's going to alter people's perception because they see it they see the skin and the person doing it if it was a black person it, it, it they might die for that that's the only thing i would say that would we can learn from whiteface is just the mm. perceptions that color has on just the mundane things that people do Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think something that was cool was <laughs> your last chapter, the last social sister, when we're talking about Rachel Dolezal, <laughs> you know, of course, gosh, the, the thing, if you can help me, if anything, what makes Rachel Dolezal 
her empathetic racial impersonation unique, uniquely different from the other racial impersonators? Well, she's different because she won't go be a white girl again. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't admitted yet, she huh? Refi- she refuses. She, I mean, she's admitted it. Uh, okay. She's, she's admitted that she's a white woman. I mean, but, well, she admits that she has white parents, <laughs> but um, but that she has, but she is. She says she's intrinsically and spiritually black. Hmm. That okay, but but you are passing yourself off as a black woman in in these various spaces. And now that we know um, who you who you really are, she you know she just kind of doubled down on the whole thing. Um, hmm. She changed her she changed her name. Oh um, wow! I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but um, she changed her name to something like Inkechi Diallo. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> Like legally changed her name. Um, she she is just she is so doggedly insistent that she has the right to self identify however she wants, which I said other I said is the whitest thing you could say about this. Right about to say the caucasity of it. That is like that's it is peak caucasity. Yeah, peak caucasity. And she doesn't see she doesn't see it that way at all. Like she cannot see her privilege at all wow. i mean the fact that she the fact that she sued Howard university mm-hmm. as a white woman <laughs> as a white woman for being discriminated against for being a white woman um <laughs> and then turns around and is teaching you know um teaching classes on black womanhood mm. and it's it just it is it's quite it's like fascinating in a way that like i don't know just fascinating <laughs> yeah. come on Yeah. And you say black America. America, America And you say young America, America, America. Another day in America, America, America. Yeah, it's hard to be the American me If this ain't home, then where can I be? The answer's no when they ask, oh say can you see? Especially when the lawyer asks, oh hey can you plead? I was born in the world without innocence Cause we all look guilty in them tenements Living life on the edge and it's been intense The hands of hate plan our fate, they been winning since Graduated and my moms couldn't be prouder And my soul lived the spirit of Khalif Browder And that was 35 years back when the song cried, couldn't hold them tears back The promised land, tell me where's that? I've been alive 51, been the same amount of years black But still, I'ma write these bars In the land of these stripes and stars Let's talk about it By the dawn's early light Trying to survive this perilous fight Anything that's done in the dark Time reveals when the moment is right The red glare from a cop's gun Shots rang consecutively I, I think like many of us know that, you know, uh, that race is, is like kind of a social construct, you know, that, that the idea of different races was invented. So, you know, so knowing that when her argument about transracial identity, does that even hold validity? You know, what is transracial identity when racism, races aren't even true in the first place? Like what? what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. so. I don't think transracial is a thing. <laughs> There's <laughs> transracial adoption. Like, that uh, really yes. in all <laughs> um, But I don't think the way she's using it, it it's, a, it's an actual thing. <laughs> right. and, I, and I think that um, there's almost a way that the, the language around race being a social contract has allowed her to, um, to perform this particular type of blackness um, and then she can just trot that that statement out, or you know, we're all from right. Africa anyway. These, right. these kind of you know, um, little trite sayings that people right. like to say when, um, when yeah, race is a social construct that has very real life consequences. I mean, right. it's a social construct that literally structures systems, um, structures lives, and has consequences. Some of them death. Right. So to be very cavalier about. Oh, it's just a racist social contract anyway. Like, no. Right. Um, you're forgetting the other part where there are real life consequences to these things. And while you can play with blackness as you have been doing for a while now, yeah. Um, not yeah. everyone has afforded that same privilege, right? Um, that same freedom, um, to kind of, to kind of play with, 
play with whiteness, for right. instance. But I don't think that would go over very well right. um, for me. <laughs> right. I, I think right. what, some of the stuff she did was kind of suspect anyway. Like they would find certain uh, hate mail or just things going around, around in the community. It, was, it just felt so convenient. So, you know, it was almost like I think she, they think she possibly was setting things up to perform her blackface. <laughs> yeah, that seriously, that that is um, that's probably what was happening. Mm. Um, it, it was it was sketchy enough that, you know, journalists, journalists were starting to investigate, which is how she got outed. Mm. Um, and I, I think that she constantly wants to be positioned in the center of something and she found that um being a black woman in in a place that didn't that doesn't have a very large black population mm. gave her you know kind of propelled her into the spotlight if she wanted to be um it was very easy to take that spotlight um because uh, she could position herself as a civil rights activist uh, right. an activist around issues around police accountability mm. um and and also with her work with the NAACP. Right. So so what does Dolezal's stubbornness about her identity like reveal about her reveal about the power of blackness? Yeah, so I actually, you know, once I got off over my shock <laughs> and then kind of cuz I thought she'd I thought she was going to go away. <laughs> I thought she was going to go away and like return, you know, like take the wig off and just but she didn't, um, and it made it made me think that with all the denigration of blackness that happens, mm-hmm. um, with the circulation, the e- the easy and ca- casual circulation of black death in social media now, um, the 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 flagrant kind of racism that is now the white lash to um, the Obama presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the, the fact that we have to constantly reaffirm our blackness by saying things like you know um black girl magic or yeah. black boy joy like we, we have to consciously do that because we're, we're facing all this negative stuff right. um it, it makes me her stubbornness to cling to blackness reminds me that even though um there's so much integration of, of blackness and black people um that um, black folks are amazing, <laughs> yeah. and right, it kind of it, it's like it, it reminds me, like, yeah, of course you want to be black. I love being black. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I get it. Right. You're not, but I get it. <laughs> right. right. Um, and that's <laughs> that's kind of a, it was a strange re- way to remind myself of that. Yeah. Um, especially in the midst of. Because when when Rachel Dolezal, the, the, the fever picture of Rachel Dolezal was happening was when um, we were just, that was when uh, the, trial, the church in Charleston um, uh, yeah. happened. I mean, like so many things were happening that just kind of was eroding a sort of sense of um, uh, black life yeah. and joy and living. Um, so that yeah. was a reminder that we'll never lose that despite how many assaults. Right. Um, that's a, that's a good, that's a good uh, introspection with that. Cause I, I Rachel Dole is out. I kind of saw that too. Like you're kind of, you're, you're kind of mad that she's like the audacity just to be able to switch up and be black. If you feel like you want to, like we can never do that. Like just, just that privilege in it. But then the way she would talk about blackness, like braid her hair, the art. I'm like, she can do all that while not being black, but it showed how much Absolutely. she, how much she loved black. Like, dang, I love being black, but dang, you, wow, you really love being black. You know, it was, <laughs> it, was it was, it was an interesting kind of <laughs> thing going on there. I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. and there's some fetishization of it too. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to give her. I'm not going to give her full credit. Oh, absolutely. You know, she also does fetishize. <laughs> She um, does. What being blackness looks and feels like as well. Exactly. So one thing, this is kind of uh, a kind of a, I don't know how to say this question, but do you have to be physically in blackface to perform blackface in our society? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes, it makes great sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say that there, so you can like mimic 
are you talking about like mimicking the gestures or yeah 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 i guess that's a form Um, would that be a form of minstrelsy blackface in a sense um i think some people might i feel like i need an example but i feel like some people might call it that Mm -hmm. i mean we we know that we know that even though um okay so america really likes black culture they just Mm -hmm. don't like black people right right so we see that constantly right um i mean the kardashians are literally right i mean they they have made an empire out of just taking from black culture um and then repackaging it and and selling it back out um so i think that happens all the time um so it's like taking their perceptions of what they think blackness is um more of a caricature of it it's kind of like a form of minstrelsy in a sense mm. yeah that's a good point yeah. so so what do you want the reader to truly take away from black for a day mm. um that i think i've come away i think i think i'm at the point where i can say um we need empathy, but empathy is, is not, is not enough. Like these empathetic gestures, like, like that happen here in mm-hmm. the book are not enough. And that if we want to, um, move forward in real progressive ways, we've got to, um, have take risks and, um, um, have coalitions and co conspiracies. What do you mean um, right there? I don't want to ask. I, I like that. What do you mean? Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I've said it before, but I don't, I, um, I'm done with allies. I don't need any more allies. Mm. Um, allies to me wear safety pins to tell, let me know <laughs> they didn't vote for Trump. Um, I need, I need co-conspirators mm. that are actually going to um, help overturn these systems of oppression. Right. And, um, you know, I, 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 what I, as I was reading black for a day, I thought just learning about understanding why they would go do this, the black face and minstrelsy was, was, was uh, the point of the book. But as I went in deeper, like you said, I was like, this is showing that this whole white liberal thought can be selfish. And yes. It seems like it's all for you, which is defeating the purpose entirely and making the status quo even solidified in the status quo even more. Like this is actually showing the opposite. You, They think they're doing the most extreme part to help this cause, but they're actually doing the extreme most opposite to help this cause. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Alicia Gaines, I just want to say thank you so much for writing this book. And uh, we- thank you truly enjoy you having you on books Beats and beyond thank you so much this is great thank you well i hope you enjoyed that interview with alicia Gaines, where we talked about her book black for a day white fantasies of race and empathy um you can go ahead and purchase the book if you want just go inside the show notes click on the link and it'll take you right to the storefront um and also while you're in the show notes go ahead and click on that itunes link to subscribe rate and leave a review and until next time let's read listen explore